0: I'm gonna kick some player's ass. This is not a dream job. This is reality. I am many The best word I can say, but uh, will describe this, was boom. And I think you are an ostrich. Well, your head must be in the sand. The Premier League is a fraud. The ferret head.
1: Very
0: much looks like a ferret, doesn't it? Which phone is that? That's the second time it's gone off.
1: Hello and welcome to the E football show. That's a football show here on Balls.E brought to you in association with Ladbrokes. My own name is Gavin Casey and joining me as per usual is Mr. Gavin Cooney. Hey Gav. Hello Gavin, how are you? I'm very well mate, are you alright? Yeah, I can't complain. Cheers, can't complain. Um, it's been a good... Fun week here at Balls Towers. Yeah, it's been great. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. Coming up in today's show, we speak to the maker of a new documentary telling the amazing story of Paddy McCarthy, Gaff. Mm. Uh, as you know well, the Irishman who is credited as being one of the first
2: coaches of the legendary Argentine football club, Baca Juniors. Yeah, it's an amazing story. I'd never I'd never heard of it before uh, Tom Hurley, the documentary maker, got in touch with us uh, to tell us all about what it is. So uh, we'll be hearing more about that.
1: Yeah, there's a little tidbit in there about... Um, well, the Tipperary colours perhaps influencing the uh, the famous uh, blue and
2: gold of Boca Juniors. Is I, that bullshit? I told you that off air and quickly realised that it is in fact false, unfortunately. Okay, so I it's mean, one of those two. We're still tales. thinking about it. It's a good headline. I'll, I'll <laughs> give you that. Uh, but no, unfortunately not. Tipperary weren't wearing blue and gold apparently by the time that Paddy oh, McCarthy left Cashel that's an and went over point. to Argentina. But that's old.
1: Cork were wearing blue and gold at that point. Uh, yes, uh, this week we played a little bit of football with Keith Andrews, Gav.
2: It was great. We uh, we played it during. I mean, we were sh- technically scheduled to work at the time, so we did have a couple of glorious hours. Technically, as professional footballers, that's true. We were paid, however modestly, uh, to play incredibly, football for an incredibly evening. modestly. Uh, this say. was um, at Irish Town Stadium in Ringsend, where we put forward a team uh, into the Neymar Junior Five-a-side competition sponsored yeah. by Red Bull. Um, we threw our team name open to the public, and they came back. Uh, rather predictably, with Ballsy McBall's face. Yeah, that yeah. was disgraceful. Actually, I'd well, like you won't to. Totally um,
1: no, I, 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 that was unacceptable. I mean, you're really building us up for a fall. So we're kind of crowded in the or in and around the centre circle in in Ringsend at Irish Town Stadium, and they're naming the groups. Uh, so they're naming out all of these team names, and ours was third uh, to be named out. Uh, so it was you know, I don't know what the first two team names were, fairly standard five side names, and then the guy goes. Ballsy Mac Balls face, uh, the place erupted. There mm. was uh, plenty of laughs at our expense. Now that didn't take away from the fact that we were determined to go far in this qualifier for what is a massive five year tournament in Brazil. I mean, we we had one eye in Brazil, at least one eye. Oh, uh, uh, my flight's booked. Yeah, uh, I I booked the time off work <laughs> as well. You know, but. <laughs> Oh, suffice to say, now we went in there, Gav, we should point out, we were we were invited to go down there and put a team in, it wasn't us taking it upon ourselves, like fancying ourselves as footballers to uh, to go and beat a few teams and reach Brazil, but uh, Red Bull asked us to come down, thanks to them for that, mm-hmm. uh, it was good crack, we, I mean we presumed we were going to lose all of our games, even with Keith Andrews, because ultimately, you know, there was players around him, maybe Mikey aside, yeah. that, uh, we had a couple of guests that were decent, but you know, you and I, certainly me, I'm a really, really poor, technically poor footballer. Um, as soon as I found out, found out that slide tackles were abolished,
2: banned for the tournament, I, I realised I was you were, a big, big uh, you were, you, I did see your face fall when you realised you couldn't do that.
1: Yeah, but that's all I can bring to the <laughs> table is a little bit of physicality. You know, uh, there's sort of an element of intensity that I feel is lacking from the five-a-side genre, but unfortunately that was scuppered mm. by uh, this MC who uh, also laughed at our... Our name, Ballsy Mac Ballsface, but we did indeed make uh, the quarterfinals.
2: In true so. Irish international style, oh, yeah. a heroic it exit at like, the quarters. Exactly, it was more of an Irish rugby performance than an Irish football one. We we it just put, in the we quarters. just poured too much emotion into the uh, into the group stages, and we then did then qualify from the group stages because, well, everybody did. Uh, That's it was true. Only, it was there were sixteen teams, and the groups were played. We played what, four four groups of four, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, that, those maths were out and so that was only they, those games were only really to work out seedings for the round of 16 we got there we won the round of 16 and then we obviously went out in the quarterfinals and then we, we did kind of try to do like a look back some kind of genesis report on where we went wrong uh, in getting knocked out of the quarterfinals yeah. uh just for you know tournaments tournaments ahead the Carlo molly couple of course we left. It oh to, uh, it was great defend, preparation uh, for the our honor against the irish Independent uh, coming soon um and after like a lot of deliberation, a lot of investigation, we've commissioned a large report. Um the four hundred page dossier. The problem that I think most of us have agreed on at the end of this long report is the fact that Keith Andrews did a Saipan effect off before the quarterfinal.
1: Yeah, Keith um look, the way he I think he looked at our situation, right? We didn't have bibs originally, and this isn't a joke, by the way, this isn't a, a throwback to Saipan. We we genuinely didn't have sort of a uniform which pissed Keith off to mm. no end. Uh, there was no grass uh, in the pitch, by the way. There was no grass. Uh, it
2: was uh, an ultra-modern 4G pitch, but there was no grass. No
1: grass whatsoever. Uh, I think we would maybe one or two bottles of water between us. Of course, they had arrived far too late mm. to uh, be of any benefit. Keith was a little bit touchy. Uh, then I think, in fairness to him, it was starting to get a bit cold out there. Uh, Keith told me, you know, off record, but I'm sure he won't mind me saying now that he was feeling a bit hungry. So... You know, ultimately, it was the hunger, the cost, him, the, mm. the lack thereof. Uh, Keith left, uh, left us in our time of need. We were defeated five 0 by a team that we'd already played and lost to in the groups.
2: Have we, we not beaten them? No. Was that no? A, oh I think no.
1: they'd beaten us controversially. Remember the Italian referee who didn't rule out their goal despite like compl- like flagrant. Uh, what would you call it? Intrusion into that area that you weren't yeah. supposed to go into, so you couldn't go into the box in this game. Basically, the rules were quite
2: interesting because you play you started five, it was five on five, and then uh, each of you had to number each of your teammates with the best of your teammates. Number five and the worst being number one. And every time you conceded a goal, you lost a player from number one up to number five. Yeah. Um. And then obviously the game was o- the game was over after either ten minutes or uh, if you lost all your players. Yeah. So that's how it worked. Um, Keith
1: Andrews was it, it, irate with that referee. Yeah. Because not only did the referee not disallow one of their goals, which was clearly offside if you could call it that, um, he also disallowed one of our goals as Keith Andrews burst from his own box. Uh, played a beautiful one, too, with... It might have been your mate, Robbie. Yeah, I
2: think it was. Uh, Andrew,
1: slots at home. We're back in this. Like, Keith, at this point, was starting to get annoyed and he was taking it seriously. The referee blew him the whole way back and said, you have to take the goal kick properly. You can't just run the ball out of your area. And Keith goes, are you fucking joking me? Roaring at this referee. I, I, honestly, the referee, the integrity of this referee, I know you're not supposed to question the integrity of referees, but mm. I think it is extremely questionable. Uh, I, I don't know... What was going on there? But something, uh, something was awry.
2: Something yeah. was a little bit off about him. Rotten. Oftentimes, when this, the main thing that struck me playing was that obviously we're sitting here in cheap seats and we often insult the performances of professional footballers, saying mm. like uh, like they're they're ter- not fit to wear their shirt. They're terrible. And how the hell do they get? Into the profession, you realise that the gap between players who've played the game at a serious level and the rest of us—it's incredible. It's because extraordinary. Because Keith l- is unbelievable. He good. was
1: really, really good. Like I was delighted he- to only briefly before I completely, uh, well, I blew my ear basically. So yeah. like I, I, I played very, very fleetingly, very briefly. But like even to exchange passes with him was a pleasure. You yeah. know, like you're looking at all these really talented young guys around us playing against us uh brilliant dribblers of the ball, strong guys, like guys who who can pick a pass. And like then you look at Keith Andrews and you realise how fucking far away these young guys are from from where they, you know, would have dreamt of getting to at some point, I'm sure. Like it's unbelievable. Like it's just his touch, this sort of aura about him. Um a lot of, I mean, I know a lot of the teams we played against. Their players were saying like, uh, I thought they might be a little bit annoyed that that we had Keith on our team, but more, mm. it was more a case of like trying to prove themselves <laughs> against him. One guy absolutely roasted Keith. By the way, Megs <laughs> I mean, them he and scored him. an. Un- yeah, I do remember that unbelievable goal by the young guy. Another guy I, I heard saying, "Well, that's going on my CV," <laughs> not not referencing the fact that he'd beaten us, but beaten Keith Andrews. Or no, I think we beat them actually, but we played against them. But uh,
2: we, um, I knew like. We settled into it very early because the first kick of our first game, Mikey knocked it back to Keith Andrews, and Keith just chipped the keeper and went straight in from, Yeah, from the off, Literally
1: the second touch of the entire tournament for us. Yeah. It was a goal, and we were like, oh, shit. Keith like, yeah. means there, business um,
2: here. There is a video coming. Stephen, our video man, Stephen, was pitched that he shot a video of, the, of most of our games, I think, so that will be up on site soon. He did, however, miss the crowning moment of this tournament, the moment in which I wreathed it in glory. I scored the opening goal in the in the second game. Yeah, it was and it was a Stephen it was a neat misseders. finish, Gav. Don't, like you, it
1: was a well controlled finish. I'd that like, ball was flying across the area. I didn't think you were going to get there, and it was the way you steered it home with a plomb actually amazed me.
2: Yeah, because you'll often hear commentators like a ball be whipped in and oh, someone just has to throw themselves at it and almost let it hit them and let it go in. It's not that it's not that easy. Commentators in the cheap seats. You have to, you have to uh, get your body position right, and you have to control it, and get your touch right, and into the back of the net. Uh, thankfully, I did that. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I was from there on, I was gassed. <laughs> I, like, I mean, any any uh, casual viewer of Squeaky Balls time uh, will realise that I am profoundly overweight, and I think that really did catch up to me. A heavy weekend. To be honest, did sadly catch up to me by Monday evening, uh, and I still am not able to walk properly. Um, no, it was it was I'm a little bit stiff myself. It was frenetic;
1: the pace was frenetic. Look, you if you break your arse to get into the corridor of uncertainty, sometimes there's no coming back from it, Gav. Uh, yeah. You know, you've you've discovered that now. Um, we did, of course, speak with Keith briefly. Uh, yeah, we asked him for his dream Irish five-a-side team. I believe, Gav. Uh, I suppose we've. This is kind of in relation to the fact that we've been asking all of our guests, particularly Irish footballers, who are the best players they've trained alongside. But given the uh, nature of the day that was in it, we did ask Keith who he would select if he was to put together a five-a-side of uh, former Irish teammates. Definitely, Damien Do for Robbie Keane straight away. Um, I don't think i would be picking many defenders. I think it's, we've mm. got to go all out, haven't we? I'd probably go Aidan McGeady. He'd nice, be ridiculous in terms of little sure. little ones. Um, do I get again? it's your team yeah you, I'll you, play yeah, and I'll Keith Andrews in the side half. as well I'll be the um, the water carrier again One more <laughs> uh, who knows <else? laughs> I'll go Shane Long can we get Keith back for the Carlo Malley Cup do you reckon Gav
2: oh god I think we'll have to the se- like I, I think we I need to sign up a couple of columnists before that <laughs> he was like the thing was
1: he was the secret weapon for that tournament but the secret is out now you know you g- mm. you can, I can kind of I've heard whispers that the lads over the endo were you know they caught wind of this and they've already t- taken to the training pitch um, haven't heard much now from the forty-two, but uh, I'm sure they're aware of it as well. Yeah. Uh, so you know, bring it on, lads. We'll yeah. see you there at the end of this month or whenever it is. Looking forward to that. Brilliant preparation. Um, but it's time to move on from our own self-indulgence and talk. You, Gav, you spoke with a very fascinating character.
2: This is so interesting because I mean, over the over the last couple of years, we have heard of Irish people who have gone abroad. And I've got, I've become oddly, I've ended up playing very important roles in the history of football clubs, no, most notably uh, Patrick O'Connell, the man who apparently saved Barcelona. That's a really interesting story. And this is right up there, Paddy mm. McCarthy, a guy from Cashel. Um, who emigrated to Buenos Aires, arrived became, and became this incredibly influential figure. Uh, he got involved with the Sports Municipal Committee in Buenos Aires, so he essentially became a PE teacher. But he also fought in uh, in Argentina's first professional boxing fight. He became a referee. He refereed uh, the Superclásico between uh, River Plate and Baca, and that was after he had become one of the first coaches at Baca Junior. So it's an incredibly interesting story. It's told in a four-part documentary entitled The Cashel Pioneer. Uh, it'll, it's going out on Tip Midwest Radio uh, over four consecutive Wednesdays. Uh, the first of those Wednesdays is this day week, uh, April 19th. Uh, you can catch it on Tip uh, tipmidwestradio.com. Uh, so I was delighted to get the chance to talk to uh, the man behind the entire operation, Mr. Tom Hurley, and I began by asking him just who was Paddy McCarthy.
0: Um, Well Paddy McCarthy was born in 1871 and he died in 1963 and it was records and newspaper article information from Argentina says that he was born in Cashel and that he attended the Christian Brothers School and he went to Buenos Aires around 1900 and september 1900 and he landed there and um initially he worked on the port over there which which would have been the majority of them would have been english speakers um and while doing that job he got involved with a guy called reverend henry brady and he ran a thing called the missions to seamen in the port and he what he did was he recruited a lot of sailors for boxing um festivals and tournaments around the city at the time And um, Paddy McCarthy was one of those to join up and he kind of excelled at it. And that's how he kind of got into boxing over there. And after a while then, he left the port and he got a job in a commerce school and he was employed as a PE teacher there. And he also taught um, English. So some of the sports he taught there now would have been basketball and swimming and and football and um, things like that. But while he was working as a PE teacher, he kept up the boxing. And boxing at this time in Argentina was kind of defend upon, you know, because of a lot of the stuff that it was associated with, like heavy drinking and prostitution and gambling and all that kind of stuff. Um, but he kept at the boxing while being a PE teacher. And um, I suppose it culminated in, in, in October 1903, that he was involved in the first professional um, boxing match um, in Argentina. Um, he won that. He won it by knockout in the fourth round. Uh, rounds, I suppose, were longer back then. Um, the fight was against a guy called... Um, He was an Italian um, immigrant as well. Um, After that as well, um, then McCarthy became involved in a thing called the Sports Municipal Committee in Buenos Aires. And their aim really was the promotion of sport, especially amongst the young. And I suppose that's when he got involved in football. And it was while he was involved in that that he became a coach at a club called Lobos. Um, And they would be, I suppose, the majority of 100 miles outside the city of Buenos Aires. And um, after that then he was with a club called Atletico Estudiantes with a coach and player. Um and then just very quickly going through his, his footballing career, he went to Atletico Club Central Athletic Club after that. He was a player there as well. Now there's a record saying that he played as a forward for them. Um, after that then he went to a club called Club Tenes the Aquina there in Buenos Aires as well. And he was a trainer there. And then I suppose we reached 1905 and he got involved with Boca Juniors. Yeah, this is and the this is
2: probably the most interesting part th- from my point of view. Anyway, talk to me about his uh, about the influence he had at Boca Juniors.
0: Yeah, well, basically he was still a PE teacher at this time. no, don't forget, and it was five teenagers who went to that school um, of Italian origin. They decided just one day, um, because McCarthy had been teaching them football in the school, that, to set up their own club. So they did that, and um, one of them was the president. He was seventeen years old at the time, and uh, they approached McCarthy. You know, would well, he become the coach? And he said he would. So that was in 1905. They played their first game in April of 1905, and they won that 4 0 um I suppose at this time now they had no set color on the jerseys. You know, they, had, they went through various colors. One of them was pink, and one of them was black. And by 1907, anyway, they were wearing the blue and gold jerseys. Now a lot of people might say, "Oh, you know, there's a temporary connection maybe the colors and all that kind of stuff." But they didn't actually play. They didn't actually play in those colors at all at that stage. That was later. So the, the colors arrived from um just look really. They said the next ship that comes into the port um will we, we'll, and the flag on it we we'll make them our colours and it happened to be a Swedish um ship. Okay. So that's where the the, the blue and uh, gold came from really. Um so- moving on then after that then he was involved in boxing again. and he fought a few more matches and I suppose then by nineteen thirteen he was he became involved, he was a referee then for eighteen years with the Argentine Football Association. Okay. And football Yeah. Football at this stage, never seen you know was amateur. He was amateur up till about 1930 And he, I suppose, he refereed his most significant game. It wouldn't have been unusual now to, re- to referee games which which you had a connection with the club. So his first, he, he was the referee in the first Super League festival. That was in August 1913. bock against Liverpool. Oh wow! Bach lost that 2-1. Yeah. Um, he he came in for a bit of ridicule that game actually because there's two newspaper reports and in Argentina. One says that the game was meant to kick off at 2.30pm, but it it was late for 40 minutes. Now, One newspaper report said that was because the referee Patrick McCarthy turned up late, and another one says that he just stood in at the last minute for the referee who didn't show up. Uh, But anyway, he got ridiculed when he stepped onto the pitch anyway, and there was a... um, He ended up sending off a player and there was a bit of a... uh, you know, trouble in the... between the rival sets, the fans, and all that kind of stuff, so that was his kind of big game that's one that he's kind of um, came to the attention of refereeing in, in Argentina but he, he had a long refereeing career um, for 18 years um, just moving quickly on then after that then I suppose he he kept him in association with boxing for his whole yeah. life really um, I mean he was juggling a number of sports at the same time he was a PE teacher he was a boxer and he was a footballer um, but by 1924 he was he was still involved in boxing he was a ring announcer he was a manager he was a trainer um, boxers, he knew all through his life. There was one, Leon Leon Giogevacci, he was an Italian fighter, he, he knew him from 1924. Um, Babe Harriman, um, 1931. Uh, Gene Tunney, he was a friend of his as well when he came to Argentina in 1947, he met him. And, and he met a few dignitaries as well, for example, the Duke of Kent when he came to Argentina in 1931, he met McCarthy. Uh He was a friend of the President of Argentina. And um, he knew T- Theodore Roosevelt as well. Um,
2: oh wow! And I, the press release yeah. that I was reading said he got a gift from Theodore Ro- Roosevelt. What, what was the name? Yeah, of that gift? and
0: you might have, yeah, you might have seen that there was a photo with that. Did you see the photo?
2: Uh, no, I didn't actually.
0: Yeah, there was a photo with that, and McAfee wearing a, a kind of a, it's a jacket with the Yale insignia on it. You know the wide that Yale oh, University yeah. has.
2: I do. I'm looking at the name. And yeah. just
0: the- yeah, Theodore Roosevelt is in this. Now, there's no date when that happened, but Roosevelt was in Buenos Aires in 1913. He he was former president of that state, so I'm I'm assuming it might have been around that time. You know? Yeah. Um. And and like, how saying, did he, like
2: yeah, how did he come in contact with Theodore Roosevelt? Or, like, is there is there any testimony? Well, there I don't in know. The, like, every single
0: dignitary that came to Buenos Aires, he seemed to meet them in some capacity. Oh, I mean, right. he was there. There's a photo of him at a boxing match, and he's in the company of the the Duke of Kent, the Prince of Wales, and the President of Argentina, and himself. Um, and, you know, he just seems to ha- have met these guys. I mean, he was fairly high profile in terms of sport in Argentina. Um, there's numerous articles about him in, in various sports magazines at the time. That's well, was the most popular um, sports magazine in Argentina at that time, and it's still around today, is one called El Grafico. Yeah. And they had a, a, a numerous amount of articles on him um, throughout his life. That's amazing. And, like they, they had great affection from... Hmm?
2: Yeah, that's amazing. And so obviously he was well renowned at the time. Is he remembered well by Baca er, by Boca today?
0: No, um there there was there's a few Argent Argentines interviewed for the program and, and, and one of them was of course, saying that, you know, the the big guns of Baca Juniors today now wouldn't know who he is. But interestingly there was a tournament out another person interviewed for the programme, there was a tournament out in Giant Stadium um, in America, there in 2003, and and um, I think there was about seven or eight teams at it, like big teams now from the world of soccer. league I think Barcelona were there, Bern Munich, Manchester United, Celtic, and Bocca Juniors were there as well. And on the program about Bocca Juniors, like, um, it talk, talks about the history and has pictures, I think it's about six or seven, eight pages dedicated to Bocca Juniors. And uh, you know, and McCarthy is, is mentioned in the same page, you know, as Baran and Bastus and Maradona and all these guys. So, I mean, he is. When they when they cut down the history of the club, they did include the name Patrick McCarthy in it. You know,
2: ah, that's superb, which is significant. And uh, yeah. i be honest, i had never heard his name before. I was lucky enough to stumble across your email, uh, Tom. Is he remembered at all in Cashel, or is this the kind of first work uh, bringing bringing him to the attention and the consciousness of the people at Tipperary?
0: Well, it's probably the first in-depth look at his at his career because uh, out in Argentina it seems that when he went out, he didn't really talk too much about his time in Ireland. Now, he, he is referred to as Irish in newspaper articles, and um, I think he does refer to Cashel and the Christian Brothers in one article, one newspaper article out there as well, but as one of the Argentine contributors was saying, a man called Edmund Amore, who's probably done the most research on, 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 his, on McCarthy's life, really, he's saying that McCarthy basically seems to have become... Um, you know, one of the Argentine people, really. I mean, even El Grafico say that when they talk about him, they say that although foreign, he had the soul of a local. Um, he's known to have spoken English with a very Irish accent and spoken Spanish with uh, Argentine accent, really. Okay.
2: Um,
0: but there's huge, affection, yeah, there's huge affection for him in those articles, and it does shine through. Uh, another article, there was another article about him in the 40s, I think it was, and it was... Um, was in El Grafico as well and as the, the title of it above him was uh, you know, Unforgettable Seekers, Like so he used very highly regarded like.
2: Yeah, well it sounds fascinating uh, yeah. t- Tom, so you've uh, you've produced a four part documentary entitled The Cashel Pioneer it's going to air over four Wednesdays at 5 past 11 in the morning on Tip Midwest Radio the first is going out uh, on April 19th but is there somewhere uh, we can listen back to it if we're not living in Tipperary?
0: Oh yeah, well you can listen to it online at um, W. Midwest Radio
2: Midwest yeah great we're looking forward to it Tom Hardy. thank West you so West, much yeah. for joining us
0: yeah no problem at all.
2: get double the odds on first goal scorer with Ladbrokes that's right if you're winning first goal scorer scores in the opening 20 minutes of selected live matches then Ladbrokes will double the odds available in Ladbrokes shops nationwide 18 plus terms and conditions apply to louis.net brilliant stuff looking mm. forward to that April 19th uh FM Tip, uh, what's it called Tip Midwest Radio. Oh, uh, but yeah, so tipmidwestradio.com Radio uh, dot com to catch up with it. Unbelievable! Looking forward to that. It's time for our Lab broke's bet of the week. I have, uh, I've given up now. I, I was so. W- what did we go with last night? We went with a double on the Sky Super mm. Sunday. Uh, United to beat Sunderland. Uh, that was a brave call, and indeed they did. And but I, I thought less we get a point away to Everton, and mm. they did not. And it's a thrilling game. Ended four to, to Everton. So. You've been entrusted with the Labricks better of the week this week. What have you gone for?
1: Yeah, we need to get back on track here. This is for charity, and uh, sometimes we kind of forget that, and it's just like, oh, another bet gone. But actually, like when we're getting these right, we're making money for charity. So mm. there is an element of importance to this. I've gone with um, Anderlecht and Manchester United. Scored draw okay. on Thursday night uh, at 7-2. I think it's a decent... Uh, they're decent odds for what I think is a near-guaranteed result, because as much as you might look at Anderlecht and think uh, Manchester United, for all their faults, should go to Belgium and turn them over, uh, I just think Anderlecht have a couple of really good little players that, with a crowd on their side, and United not, even though the Europa League is absolutely paramount United season, I still don't think their players can sort of get up for it to the same extent they might a uh, a more important game in the league, so... I just think Anderlecht will probably score and United will be forced into battling back and equalizing at some point. Um, okay. I just like that idea of of, of Anderlecht getting a, uh, well I was going to say getting a point, but getting a draw uh, just because they're at home and because United are a bad team. Yuri Tillmans or someone, Yeah, Tillemans, Tillemans, the Belgian midfielder. I've, I've no idea, I
2: have no idea, but I mean I could see it happening in the sense that Manchester, Jose Mourinho wouldn't exactly fully turn turn up his nose at it, you know. Uh, no, like if he's back a, at Old Trafford for the second leg. I mean, that's he'll the thing. Look at it's it's a, a fine result. They should be able result. to
1: dispatch der Anderech at home. So that's the way. Uh, that's the way I'm looking at that one. I think it's going to be a draw on Thursday night. But there are a number of um, other offers that Ladbrokes are, oh well offering around this game, uh, including Zlatan Ibrahimovic to score and United to win at 15 to eight, which is decent. United to win and three or more goals scored in the game is 11 to four. Um, Wednesday night if you're listening to this as it comes out well thank you very much firstly but also there are a couple of offers to do with uh, Atletico and Leicester Jamie Vardy to score any time is 9-2 at the Vicente Calderon Uh, it seems decent but then Gavin and I yeah Gavin and I were talking yesterday we were saying like Atletico the way they set up defensively it's actually difficult to see Leicester scoring at all in Spain tonight so we'll mm-hmm. see how that one goes let it go to win and four more goals to be scored in this match three to one I'd probably steer clear that one to be honest because I can't remember the last time four goals were ever scored in that stadium <laughs> uh, and then on Friday Newcastle Leeds these are the enhanced offers from Labrooks, uh, by the way so they're offering double match odds if you're winning first goal scorer comes in, in the first 20 minutes of the following games Friday Newcastle versus Leeds good good uh, championship flash that Saturday Spurs versus Bournemouth and Southampton versus Man City Sunday West Brom, Liverpool, Man United versus Chelsea. Monday, Fulham versus Villa, Middlesbrough versus Arsenal. Tuesday, Leicester versus Atletico Madrid. That is the return leg of tonight's game. And Wednesday, Barcelona versus Juventus, which is going to require another monumental comeback from the Barcelona. It's been a brilliant Champions League. We were saying this last oh, night, oh.
2: I mean, the la- the round of 16, I think, is the single greatest round of matches I can ever remember in the Champions League. And my memory is often quite bad, you know. But, yeah. Uh, no, definitely, I think so. And it, it started off quite well last night, obviously, with well, the game that went ahead. Obviously, the Dorm game was uh, postponed until this afternoon, in kind of horrifying circumstances. But uh, oh, there's just so many goals, you know? And, but, and not just goals, but the last scene like almost every time, was really memorable.
1: Yeah, that's true. Uh, like, And the thing was, I've missed two of the sort of defining ties from the last round I missed uh, Barcelona's comeback because I was on the air coach back to Cork and the internet despite being advertised as adequate is fucking appalling (laughs) thanks to the air coach for that but also I missed uh, Man City going out to Monaco I was in New York in in orbit basically so Mm. it it completely slipped my radar but uh, having looked back on them like unbelievable events unbelievable games obviously you had the first leg between City and Monaco as well which is one of the great Champions League games arguably of all time you know oh, for a knockout game at least even the groups like Celtics 3 all draw with City there were some crazy games so um, hopefully that will continue a pace uh, and it'll be a, a memorable tournament uh, but I suppose it's time for um, slightly weirder shit now from the internet realms
2: At Ladbrooks, if one team lets you down on your Acca, of five teams or more you'll get your money back as a free bet up to 25 euro Ladbrooks, online, mobile, and in shop. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. Dunlouis.net. The only thing that they have got is the big boy up front,
0: Sigurdsson, who really. Sigthorson. Oh my, oh my word. Oh.
2: Gav, it's been a weird week. A weird week on the internet for football. A. English football is mobilizing. <laughs> so the sun the sun had its call to arms last week by projecting the Union Jack upon the rock of Gibraltar. And English football is now making its move for Gibraltar. Um it is, it is continued today with Leicester City fans, by the way. Uh, this is stuff that I'm only kind of reading about as we came on air. Uh, but Leicester F- City fans have basically are in Madrid for tonight's game and uh, have basically trashed uh, the main plaza in Madrid singing songs about how Gibraltar is ours. Uh, so the English invasion begins uh, with Leicester City's barmy army. Um, but the first the first main man to lead the charge to Spain, Mr. Tony Adams. Yeah, he's really gone for it. Adams is the new manager of Granada, until the end of the season at least. Granada in, in a spot of danger in terms of getting relegated from La Liga. Uh, so they've called in uh, Tony Adams to be their saviour. And he's doubled down. His main, uh, his main tactic so far has been just to be incredibly English. Mm. Have a listen to this from his opening press conference.
1: Okay, I've got
0: seven games to keep this ch- ch- club in La Liga, which we all want to do. This is why I'm here. I'm going to kick some players ass. Guys, I'm going to keep I'm going to work them hard. I'm going to try my best that I can do with my 40 years of experience in football to try and get this good to keep the ball out of one end and stick it in the other.
2: I mean I mean it's it's rudimentary keep it out of one end and stick it in the other. Um it's very English, you're right about that. Like his signings have been I mean that couldn't have been more. The only way that could have been more English if, if is if he spoke English with a slight twinge of a Spanish accent, <laughs> do a <with> Steve McLaren <laughs> or, or for a some Joey reason Barton, a, D- it. a Dutch or a French <laughs> accent. The thing is, as well, when Adams got
1: this job at Grenada, I until this morning thought it was the Caribbean nation Grenada, as in where mm-hmm. Jason Roberts is from. So I was thinking, how has he signed Nigel Rio Coker to play for a, a Caribbean nation, considering Rio Coker, presume I think, has a couple of England caps. I couldn't make sense of it. But, uh, well, I was wrong, obviously. Um, it's actually a decent job for Adams, but it's kind of... Ah, uh, look, who knows how it'll yeah. go. Well, know. he's
2: been at the club since November as the sporting director. Mm. And obviously, Kieran Richardson and Nigel Río Coker have been parachuted in. Uh, we love this uh, Facebook update from Football Manager. Uh, they quoted a news article uh, about Río Coker and Richardson signing and saying, filter, contract status, unattached, sort by international caps. And that's what he's done. He's
1: that's what he's done. two lads. Uh, It'll be interesting to see how they blend in there. I honestly haven't heard of Nigel Rio Coker in seven or eight years.
2: No, neither did I. Uh, So I'm glad glad he's still around.
1: Um, But I do feel that this won't end very well. Well, Rio Coker's move or Adam's generally? Generally, I, I can't see it working out. You don't think he's learned enough Spanish in the sort of four or
2: five months since joining the club as a director? Um, no, well, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Not on that evidence. I mean, he wasn't willing to embrace Spanish culture a whole lot in that opening in that opening press conference. Um, I do want to round this slot up, Gav, with mention to one of the other great men of English football, Mr. Sam Allardyce. Oh, I love uh, this we, story. Saw, uh, we saw Big Sam at his best on Monday night talking to Sky Sports, uh, where he was just kind of smiling away and... Um, in recognition of how great he is, after masterminding a 3 0 win against Arsene Wenger, and then just kind of told Sky Sports exactly how it happened in between take, in taking out the oxygen necessary to power his enormous megawatt grin. Um, but he hasn't been, always been so imperious, Gav. Uh, what? Uh, no, not at all. I was reading boltonnews.co.uk last night as again, in, as Jesus I do, really I, as I do almost almost every evening, uh, and there was an interview with Ian Marshall, uh, who a player who worked under Allardyce when he was at Bolton. Uh, and uh, Marshall praised Allardyce's harnessing of sports science and technology as, you know, Big Sam is quite a modern man. This is how he's helped build, that is one of the rocks upon which he's built his managerial church. Um, but he, Marshall managed to manipulate both the technology and Allardyce uh, for a whole fortnight. Uh, Here's the story. Uh, So I'm now quoting Marshall. He was one of the first people in football to really utilize all the medical equipment. And one day his physio issued us with a heart monitor. Uh, He let me take it home and then bring in the results uh, later in the week. Now, as you'll know, I wasn't dead keen on running. And I had this old dog called Tess. We now see where this is going. Yeah, Uh, She was about 15 and I worked it out in human terms and reckoned she could handle a run about in the park. It turns out that the heart monitor fitted her perfectly. And when I took the monitor back, Sam got me in his office and said the results were a bit off. I told him it must be broken. Uh, So we went on like this for two weeks. Tess had never been so fit. (laughs) Uh, But they caught me in the end. Uh, Thankfully, Sam saw the funny side, but he wouldn't let me have any more days off. Uh, You never manage that these days. They could probably tell you what type of dog was doing the running for you. That's a good point, actually. Tess, fair play to her. She yeah, put well in a shift there. Uh, almost
1: Ali Dia-like, I suppose, in ways. You could have signed <laughs> Tess up. Look at the results, Sam. Um, Ian Marshall, that's a, that's a great story. We, I mean, we were howling and laughing at that when we came across it last night. It It is one of those things where, obviously, he was a guy who maybe wasn't overly, well, obviously not overly professional on that on that basis there, but you get the impression that Allardyce kind of appreciated the uh, the guile he showed, the sort of scallywaggery there. Yeah, uh, I think Because so. you think, like, if that happened with a player now, it wouldn't... Nobody... Uh, like, we've seen with Steve Bruce and Ross McCormick that time about the
2: gates. You remember oh, when Ross yeah.
1: McCormick was saying he couldn't... What was it he couldn't go training because his gates he couldn't go he couldn't make it Aston broken. Villa
2: training because his electric gates had barricaded him in the into house into his home he rang Steve Bruce and Bruce said well hop the wall and get a taxi and he said I might wait your man's coming to fix the gates you know I'll, I'll be here just to let him in and Steve Bruce in a fit of anger and righteousness drove uh, to Ross McCormick's house and took a picture of the four foot wall which he refused to jump and use this as uh, use this as a stick with which to beat him yeah not every manager is
1: as forgiving as Big Sam so credit to Sam for that uh, that's it for Weird Shit from the Internet Gavin. it's mm-hmm. also it for the podcast really uh, our thanks as usual go to Lad Brokes well thanks to you Gav and to you Gav yeah we'll leave it there then uh, until next week enjoy all the football over the weekend and uh, and indeed on on the Tuesday Leicester's return leg when they're battling back from a 3-0 defeat at the Vicente Calderon yeah chat then cheers <laughs>